Today is um, Sunday after the Epiphany. The Epiphany was last Thursday, as you well know. And on that day, the church universal celebrates the fact that in a strange and mysterious way, these magi, these wise men, as we call them, came from the east. And they were searching out the place which is just mind-boggling, where the king of the Jews is born. Now, just think about that for a moment. How in the world did these foreigners from maybe Babylon know that there was something extraordinary happening in Jerusalem, which was a long way from where they lived? I'm thinking of Daniel, the prophet. Remember Daniel? a great man of God. You can read his history, of course, in the Old Testament in his book. And it's just amazing what Daniel and his friends did in Babylon. They were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian captivity, way back in the 6th century BC, carried off as hostages. But very soon they rose in their ranks and became well-known and respected by all, even the king, who finally appointed Daniel to watch over his kingdom with him. And that's one of the miracles of, of the Old Testament. These, these unknown people from this captive nation become leaders in the foreign country of Babylon. And they were very faithful in the practice of their religion. And so the enemies of Daniel back in those ancient days went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, everybody's obeying your edict except these goody-goody two-shoes who have come to us from that foreign captive nation, Daniel and his friends. And Nebuchadnezzar is just totally devastated. And you can read what happens to Daniel. But my point in bringing that up is, where in the world did the sages from the East, 700 years later, get information that there would be a king born to the Jewish nation? I don't know the ins and outs of that, but I do know this, that surely Daniel had something to do with the fact that hundreds of years later, these magi, these, these wise men, as we call them, Followed the star. So much mystery. And on Epiphany, we celebrate how these magi find Christ and Mary and Joseph. And how they bring Jesus treasures from those ancient lands, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And on this day, the church has celebrated since its beginnings this event where Jesus is manifested as the Savior of all people everywhere. And that's what Epiphany is about. And then you come to this, the Sunday after the Epiphany, which is today. And today, the Sunday is called, not the first Sunday after Epiphany, although it is, it's called the baptism of our Lord. And from ancient days, people have thought 
that the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is commemorated and celebrated on this Sunday after Epiphany, is one of the most epochal things that have taken place in the life of Jesus that has everything to do with you and me. And hidden away, not so subtly, in the baptism of Jesus is this. John's baptism was based on Old Testament covenants. It was a baptism for repentance, pleading to God through the waters that he would be merciful to them and send them a savior. It's interesting that in the gospel which we read for today, Luke mentions, more than mentions, but underlines the fact that after John has all of the trouble with Herod who puts him in prison, before that happens, Jesus goes to John the Baptist, who is out there proclaiming his baptism for repentance. And Jesus, the sinless son of God, this miraculous child of God who is born by the power of God the, through, through the Virgin Mary, this Jesus who has come to give salvation to all people, of all things, goes and receives a baptism for repentance. And then you shake your head and say, well, what is this all about? Why does the sinless son of God, who has been born so miraculously, need repentance? And of course, he does not. But when you consider it, it makes sense from Jesus' standpoint to receive a baptism for repentance, because in receiving John's baptism, Jesus is absolutely identifying himself with people he came to save. As he receives John's baptism, he is putting himself in the crowd of all of those who are in need of God's forgiveness, joining hands with us, as it were, putting his arm around us, and saying, in effect, I'm with you, and I have come to do something about your dire situation. So in accepting John's baptism, the event which is celebrated on this Sunday, our Lord Jesus Christ proclaims himself as the one who is going to do something about this problem of sin. We know what our Lord Jesus Christ did. We'll be following that very closely for the next months and weeks here in our worship through the beauty of the church year as we see our Lord Jesus Christ uh, go out into the world preaching the gospel, drawing people to himself, explaining to him that he has come to open the kingdom of God to all who believe in him. And we will see our Lord Jesus Christ finally months from now going to the cross. And there he puts himself as the one who is representing all of sinful mankind and humanity. And in some mysterious and wonderful way takes upon himself the sin of all the world and gives himself on that cross so that we might be totally forgiven and acceptable to God, which 
we are. So that's the glory, it seems to me, of the Sunday after Epiphany, the baptism of our Lord. But it also reminds me of my baptism and your baptism. And as I said, the baptism which we have received, the one commanded by Christ in Matthew 18 and referred to so many times in Holy Scripture, is different than John's baptism. It's not a baptism by which we say, as John's people did, I have sinned and am in need of forgiveness. It's rather the incredible act of God by which he rushes into our universe with his mercy and his goodness, and through that sacrament of holy baptism, receives us as his own people. And when we are baptized, we are reminded in the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans, our epistle lesson for today, that miraculous things take place, things of which we undoubtedly need to think about much more. In our baptism, St. Paul reminds us in Romans that we are united with Christ. That's the English translation of a Greek word from which the word symphony comes. In our baptism, we are united with Christ. We become one with him. Another thing about baptism, which is so fascinating, is that it implies motion. That's kind of obtuse. Just think about this. I walked into the room. And hidden away in the baptismal formula, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is this feeling of motion. I baptize you into the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And suddenly, we are in a different place. We are no longer in death, but we are in life. We are no longer in the world of sin. We are in the world of forgiveness. We have moved from the world of damnation into the world of salvation because I've been baptized into the name of the fathers. And what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, that becomes, in a sense, my identity, your identity as a baptized child of God. The beautiful power of holy baptism. So today, when we think about the baptism of Jesus, go another step and think about your own. Because the baptism of Jesus is that which opens up the gates of paradise for you and for me. And God, through the act of baptism, has given us a sure way to be a part of that future forever and ever. And so you are. In Jesus' name, amen.